All right. In our Bible journey today, we are going to be in Job chapter 25. And we actually are going to cover quite a bit today. So we're going to go straight Bible. Um, the reason being, uh, Job is going to have a response to Bildad. And it's six chapters long. So we're going to go rather quickly through those six chapters. Um, a lot of it's repetitive, uh, a lot of similar stuff. Uh, but there are some things that I think will stick out today that we really need to talk about. We're in Job chapter 25, and like we do every week, we should have a little bit of recap just so we don't forget what this is all about. Okay, We've been going back and forth through the friends for a while, so we want to make sure we, we, we stay on top and stay in the context of where, what this is all about. So God um, clearly stated right, right from the beginning that Job is an upright man. That's according to God. And so we got to keep that in mind as we go through. And that is actually the foundation of all that we're studying. Job knew it to be true. But according to what was happening in his life, it made people question. I mean, he loses his stuff, his family, loses his health. And it's all because God allows Satan to come against him. That's what's going on. To see... Is Job going to curse God because this is happening to him? Because Satan had said, the only reason he follows you, God, only reason he follows you is because all you ever do is bless him. He's not following you, God, because of who you are. So God took this opportunity to teach all of heaven a lesson. All of us today as well as we're studying this book. So Job's in this situation. His wife wants nothing to do with him. He actually told him to curse God and die. And his friends, well, they've come against him saying, you're a huge sinner. Because you would not be in your situation if you were not so. You're just hiding it, Job. Because they have, they have this philosophy as cause and effect. This little kindergarten theology. But they put God in this box of cause and effect. That's the way everything works and takes away God's sovereignty. And it's not biblical as well. Um, they didn't have the scripture during that time, but, but I think they're speaking on God's behalf and that because you're in this situation, the state of being, it's because you're sin. We can, we haven't, we don't know exactly what it was. So you're hiding it. You have to be hiding it. So Joe's main concern though, it was not really all the material loss, although the kids is a big deal. Um, and he's in a lot of pain. But his bitterness that he's going through is from wondering, hey, God, where are you? Where's this relationship that I always knew? And he goes through a couple rounds with his friends back and forth. And we're actually finishing up the last of the third round with Bildad. This is the last we hear from Bildad. And actually, this is the last we hear from any of these three friends. We won't hear from them again. Um, there will be one new guy. After we get through today, we'll talk about next week. A new guy who steps up. Um, but as far as these three guys, this is going to be the finish of them. And so this last one here is actually rather short. Bildad. Bildad, not long-winded at all, like his other friends were. Now, I'd like to be able to say short and to the point, but rather it's short. But there's not really any point of all what Bildad says. It just... Sort with not really much to say. But let's dig in. Oh, chapter 25. 
Then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, To rule and awe belongs to him. He makes peace in his heights. Is there any number to his troops? Upon whom does his light not rise? Now, Job wouldn't argue any of this. I mean, this is stuff Job would agree with. In other words, nothing new by Bildad. Basically, the friends and Job have gone back, back and forth and they exhausted their arguments. Now they have to repeat themselves again, even though it's short here. He says, can you, can God, is there anybody that can number God's troops? God's angel army here? The answer is no. The scripture actually records hundreds of millions of angels in his army. Okay, so we, we can't. And this speaks about the power behind God's host, the, 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 the troops. I mean, think of this. Just one angel in the Old Testament dealt with the whole Assyrian army. One angel in one night. Just think of the power of God's angel's army in full force and what it's able to do. So the truth is you, you can't number. He's right. Bildad's right here. Verse 4 says, how then can a, can a mortal, a man, be justified before, before El, before God? Or how can he be clear who is born of a woman? Now, this doesn't have anything to do with Job's situation, but that's a correct question. It's something we need to ponder and understand. The truth is no one is righteous before God. The only righteousness we can have before God is the righteousness of Christ if we have been saved. We are justified only through Christ. In Christ, like uh, the famous saying, it is it's just as justified, never sinned. That's how we're justified. Paid in full. Verse 5 says, Behold, Job, Bildad says here, Even the moon does not radiate. The stars are not purged in his eyes. Indeed, mortal uh, man is a is a maggot, and the son of man, a human, is a, is a worm. Pretty picture, huh? So okay, so Bildad, that's it. And really, what he repeated is some things that Eliphaz said. So basically, Bildad covered nothing. Job has uh, hasn't heard from the others, and. They covered nothing that Job just talked to, talked about in any of Job's conversations. He he didn't he wasn't listening. He didn't address anything. Bildad really adds nothing to the conversation. And the so-called friends, overall, if you when you look at them, because this is the end of the three friends here, when you look at them overall, they never really listened to Job. Basically, while Job's talking, you can just picture it because that's the way it comes out. Their main concern is, what wise advice am I going to give him next? Not really listening to what he had to say. Job, Job has claimed his innocence. But he never stated that he did it uh, is perfect, that he's, that he's without sin. He's never said that. He understands that he is not perfect. He knows that nobody is. And they're trying to get him to say, uh, Bildad saying, hey, look at the moon, right? Even the moon, the bright moon, 
It's not its own light. It's reflecting the sun's light, right? It's dim before God. That's what he's saying. The, the moon, the, the stars, they they don't glorify the way that they should before God. God deserves more than they actually put off, Job. Do you glorify God better than them? That's what he's saying. Job, know this. You're not innocent. Do you know that, Job? And Job, he never claimed to be perfect, okay? God says he's blameless and upright. It doesn't mean he's perfect. But it means he's doing the right thing, okay? Not perfectly, uh, like none of us, but his heart is after God and after doing the right things. Well, chapter 26, that was that for chapter 25. So now, and this is why this, uh, we're going to take a little bit of time to go through some ground here tonight because Job is going to speak. He's going to respond basically for the last time as far as this round goes. This this He's going to lay out his case. Okay, This is like the final stand. And Job goes on for six chapters here. Okay? We're going to go relatively quickly through here, but we're going to touch on a few things. Job's answered and said, chapter 26, What a help you are to those without vigor, those that don't have strength. How have you saved the arm that has no strength? What counsel you have given to those without wisdom and have made known reality to the abundance? To whom have you told declarations? And whose breath came forth from you? Some translate that as spirit. Whose spirit? And again, I'm going from Hebrew to English translating here. Whose breath came forth from you, Job says. To build that. Now others have said already of his friends. They gotten word in a dream from God. Or the speaking on behalf of God. Joe says okay. These other guys are saying that this happened. How about you? Where did you get your breath? Where are you getting your information? Where are you getting your wisdom? Now. That's a good question to ask. Because this kind of counsel of course is not from the Lord. Because Job hadn't done anything. For the, his certain circumstances to take place. Let's say, for instance, even if he did, he didn't, but even if he did, he still should not be treated the way that he's been treated. If you and I find somebody that's in trespass, that's in sin against the Lord, and all sin is against the Lord, we are to go and restore them, the scripture says, in the spirit of gentleness. In other words, in love. And that's not happening with Job's friends. Now, Job is innocent in this sense. But if he wasn't, they still shouldn't respond in the manner that they are. Verse 5. And this is a really tough verse here. It says, the, your translation might say, the dead. Um, and actually, in the Hebrew, it comes out as healers. But healers is not ever... Uh, Translate in the context, and this this can be confusing. Um, the word really is refiam, refiam. So it, it, the dead or the refiam travail, those beneath the waters and those tabernacling with them. It says that verse six, the unseen is naked in front of them, and destruction has no covering. All right, this is. Again, this is hard in the language, but I, 
on this podcast, we try to go a little more in depth in some things. So we best we try to explain things the best we can. It's still a mystery to some of the Bible. Okay, I'm not going to come here and tell you I understand everything about the Bible. There's some stuff that I just accept for what God says, and some things we do the best we can with. What I do know, God's word is 100% accurate. Um, so we'll 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 touch on this hard language. In the language, some translate as the dead here, but I believe more accurate is Rephaim um, in the Hebrew language. Whatever is going on there in the first part, what we do know is that the Rephaim, or the dead, whatever that is uh, to be translated, it says it's formed below the waters. Well, below the waters may indeed, especially getting into the context here, speak of Sheol. The, the place of, called the unseen, uh, where the dead go. Here it states that the sea, what happens to the sea? It tabernacles its place of the dead. Very interesting. But with tabernacles, what does that mean? It orders it, a place of the dead. In Revelation 13, it speaks of the beast, also known as Antichrist. And it speaks of the beast Antichrist coming up out of the sea. Interesting. In Revelation 9, it speaks of demons arising from the sea. During the time Jesus was on this earth, there was a storm one time when Jesus was with his disciples. And Jesus rebuked what? He rebuked the sea. Micah says our sin is buried where? Our sin is buried in the sea. That's where it goes. It's, it's gone. And when the new earth is created, and a lot of this stuff, if you're just going through the Bible the first time, we'll get to. We haven't got there, but I wanted to touch on this. When the new earth is created, you will find what is not there in the new earth. There's no sea. No more sea. Very interesting. Jesus said that um, just like Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, right? He said, also the Son of Man. Speaking of himself, will be three days in the center of the earth. And then what happened after Jesus died? Well, there's three days in the center of the earth. What's going? It speaks of a time where he went to actually went to Sheol to dress those that were in Sheol during that time. So what is this place? This place is the place of the unbelieving dead. It's where they're at. Eventually, that hell is going to be thrown into a, what's called the lake of fire. Okay, so the the language here in this verse indicates that these individuals, the Rephaim or the, the dead, whatever it's speaking of, indicates that they're in travail or trembling. Okay, the New Testament calls this place as Hades. It's where unbelieving unbelieving souls that have died are right now, and makes sense. Hell indeed is in travail. That's true. So again, this is a tough verse, but those are some things the language is talking about. And I'm not going to, I'm going to give you the, my best shot on some of these things. Some things we do know what it's talking about here. Some things like the translation of Rephaim or dead. We don't know exactly what that is. Whatever this is saying it indicates that the, uh, the spiritual realm of the dead, that's what it's talking about. And the clear point is there's nowhere that God cannot see, including Sheol. The unseen. 
the depths of where the dead go. Okay, there's, everything is naked and open before God is the context, right? So it doesn't matter where it is, including the depths, Sheol, where the dead go. It says, all travail. They tremble before God. He knows what's going on. That's the whole point. God, God knows everything that's going on. That's, that's what Job's trying to say. Verse 7. He stretches out the north over chaos. He hangs the earth, notice, on nothing. Amazing. Many things that, that Job says in his sixth chapter response was actually pretty radical, especially for the times. Job goes out on a limb scientifically compared to what most people believed in that day. And it's specific. See, God speaks in specifics often. Job, we know, is the oldest book of the Bible, oldest book put to pen. That's why we're going through it before we go through the whole book of Genesis. We did the first chapter, 11 chapters of Genesis. Now we're going through the book of Job because that's where it falls in line chronologically. And it's the oldest book we have. It was written over 4,000 years ago. And this was written at least 3,000 years before Isaac Newton and others actually understood this aspect of science, that the earth hangs upon nothing. In the 1300s, many actually thought that Hercules was holding it up. And depending on the culture, some say uh, there was an elephant holding it up. Some said it's on the back of a turtle. Um, some say uh, it was somebody named Atlas. There have been def def many things. The Bible clearly states, no, the earth hangs upon nothing. The orbit we have and the gravitational pull and the earth hanging on nothing, all this stuff is going to be spoken about here. Way before anybody understood any of it. Job indeed is a prophet and he speaks truth. And it just proved out the Bible. See, the Bible is not written as a science book. But where science is in this book, it's perfect. And it helps show us that the Bible is indeed accuracy. And just another way to prove it out. It's perfect in its original language. Look, uh, today we may see... We, we may say how ridiculous the thought of the turtle, right? What? People thought the, the, the earth was on the back of a turtle or elephant. We may see that as ridiculous today. To them, it wasn't. But I would say this. It's no more ridiculous than man's theories in science today. That they push us back. Evolution is just as ridiculous as the elephant or turtle thoughts. I mean, if you start with the Bible, evolution is impossible. Because evolution has to, to have things like billions of years old to come up with their, their solutions to what they believe. The Bible, though, says that human beings have only been on this earth since the six-day creation week when the world began. That is not that old. Uh, 6,000 years old is about what how old the earth is. It's from at least from six days of creation. Okay, in the beginning, you can have that conversation, and we might a little later. Um, but from that little week of creation, it's about six thousand years. Atheists and evolutionists simply just don't want to be held accountable. That's what it's all about. The Bible says that a fool says in their heart, 
there is no God. And that's indeed true. Now, we don't want to go around calling people fools, but we understand that. And we need to understand, and I hope they understand, it takes more faith not to believe in Jesus than to actually believe. Now, we got to believe by faith, but it's very evident that in this world there is order, there is design, that things are set up, and, and things are set up in details and perfection. That it just amazes us in the creation that there has to be a designer. I mean, if you are into computers and somebody does computer code to make something happen on the computer, right? A coder, right? If you make, if there's code, you find code, there had to have been a coder. But there is code in all human beings and all plants, all animals. It's called DNA. If there is a code, that means someone put in that code. And that someone is Elohim. Okay? It's God. Amazing here with Job. Verse 8. Job continues, speaking of God. He says, he bundles up the water in his thick clouds. And the cloud is not torn. It's not rent beneath it. He covers the face of his throne to spread his cloud over it. He circles a statutory limit over the surface of the waters at the coincidence of light and darkness. Notice it says he circles. And speaking of the orbit and the movement it would take to get around the earth is a, is a circle, okay? The rotation there. Now, also that the earth's a sphere, that circular uh, shape, most people of our past actually thought the earth was what? It was flat, right? That's what most people of our past. People didn't understand the earth being a sphere. But the Bible, in its most ancient writing, the book of Job, makes it very clear. And around the sphere of the earth and the rotation of the earth, you have the moon that was established by God, and they have that gravitational pull. What's happening? The tides of the earth saying, oh, you can only come this far. Like it's saying here, the statutory limits. That's talking about the gravitational pull and what God did with the seas. Amazing. Joe spoke this in our most ancient book. More proof of the Bible. Verse 11. The columns of heaven collapse and are amazed at his rebuke. He lulled the sea with his vigor, his strength. And by his understanding... He transfixes the audacious. Verse 13, by his spirit, he made seemly the heavens. His hand travailed the fugitive serpent. That's some hard language there as well. But it's very interesting when you dig in. He's talking about the heavens or the stars. Um, uh, actually, the heavens is the literal translation. And that's right in verse 1 of Genesis, right? Why did God create the stars? What purpose do they serve? I mean, after all, the gigantic universe is just a, did he just create it for us just to observe as beauty? Hmm. There are many things, of course, we don't understand about it, the universe. What's all that stuff doing out there? 
but we can know part of what it speaks of. It says the heavens are made seemly, beautified by his spirit, made beautiful. And if when you look at the stars of the heavens and compare it to us, we're just a speck. How small are we compared to the heavens? You do that some night. Away from a city, and just look up at the stars and don't, and don't tell me that there's no God. It's very clear. In fact, the stars in the sky, according to the scripture, were given names by God. He's named them. And when you study the constellations, you notice it writes out creation and the gospel in the, in the names of the stars. We got the names even early on in the book of Job. In fact, we know the story of the wise men. The wise men, somehow they studied the stars. And it told them they, to go and find Jesus after he was born. And then when you look at the stars, it, it starts with like the constellations and all this. And you look at the zodiac and all that. We don't want to spend too much time in that because that's not, not, not our thing today. We got the word of God. But in the beginning, it's written out, and you start with Virgo. You know what that is? That means the virgin. That's the beginning of it. And what does it finish up with? Leo. That's the lion. What is that? And, and, and there's people smarter than I that can go through a lot of the rest of them. But it kind of tells the story. And it speaks of the gospel from the virgin birth to his return as the lion from the tribe of Judah. Amazing. The very heavens have declared there is a God. Well, the devil, no doubt, has corrupted this through the years. And this thing called astrology. We don't want anything to do with that. We shouldn't mess around or have anything to do with looking for signs or horse bouts or anything like that. Okay, that. I told you that for background information because God lays it out. But we don't need that today. What do we have? We have the word of God. But that is what speaks to us. The gospel message, the word of God for us. But notice the very creation does declare it as well. What's all that stuff out there doing? Now, there's also something here pretty cool, I think. There are different viewpoints on this. And uh, I'm going to actually talk about this in my next segment. Just so you guys are aware, I've never shared this, but my my podcast, uh, what I recorded on, lets me do 30-minute segments, and it'll cut off, okay? That's why we, we do do it in several segments. Um, so my time is almost up. So I, instead of getting to this, we're going to do it in the next segment. Okay, but We're going we're gonna to let you guys know what's going on here. Written right in a minute. So we're up to Job chapter 26, verse 13. We started talking about this verse in our last segment. It says, by his spirit... Speaking of God, he made seemly beautiful heavens. His hand travailed the fugitive serpent. So what does that mean? We talked about a little bit of it so far. Here's something that's pretty cool. There's different viewpoints on this, but I'm going to give you the scripture the best way I understand things. And in this verse, it's, it says he made seemly the heavens. And the idea, again, is beautiful. When did this happen? When did God make seemly the heavens? 
Well, back in Genesis, right? Back in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. Then what happened? It said, and the earth became void and chaos is the language. Void and chaos. What? He created it, then chaos happened and emptiness happened? What happened there? Well, I believe it's possible that in that time, Satan, or Lucifer known at the time, fell from heaven. I mean, what was this chaos? God didn't form the earth in chaos. He formed it to be inhabited. But it became chaos. This could indicate in the oldest book that we have, Job, what many believe happens in the beginning. As God is creating heaven and earth, it says right here, its hand travailed the fugitive serpent, it says here in the scripture. So as God created the heaven and earth, his hand reaches out. What does it say? It travails the serpent. What's the serpent? Often translated the dragon. What is the serpent doing that God has to reach his hand? Possibly, it could be causing the earth to be without form and chaos. And then from that point on, in Genesis, what it says, after the chaos and void, it says, And God comes upon the surface of the sea and said, Let there be light. And then you have in the, the recorded six literal days of creation. So why is the serpent a fugitive here? Because what did he do? He ran from God. He ran from God in rebellion. That's what Lucifer did. That's what Satan did. That's what a fugitive is on the run. And what happened? God reached out and travailed him. So maybe the trembling, the travail, maybe this is God kicking him out of heaven. Now he still has access to the, the, the parts of God, uh, heaven because we know it comes before the Lord um, and accuses the brethren day and night. But not like he had before. Maybe this is kicking him out. As in in the, in the creation, Satan makes the earth chaos. Interesting stuff. So we go a little more in depth here. But whatever this means for sure, God is in control. And he can make tremble those in Sheol on the earth. He can make Satan tremble. He can make the principalities of darkness and the heavenly realms tremble. God is awesome. And all his created beings will bow. Verse 14. Behold, these are ends of his ways. And how buzzing a word we hear of him. But the thunder of his masterful deeds, who can understand? Job saying, hey, these are, these are just the ends of his ways. In other words, the, the edges. We just hear a little buzz about God. Indeed. I mean, we've had some tough passages today in this chapter where we're explaining the things that we're not sure on. The best we can, we just get a buzz of it. Just an edge of it. But by and by, in eternity, we will come to understand these things a lot better. Now, we just go by what we know and, and what God reveals through us, through his scripture. Some of it's still a mystery. We're up to Job chapter 27. And Job continues. He says, and Job proceeded to lift up his proverb and said, El lives, 
or as God lives, who has taken away my judgment? And the one who suffices, this is Shaddai, the, the Almighty, made my soul bitter. For still all of my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips will not speak iniquity, nor my tongue uh, soliloquizing deceit. Even though him who suffices, that's El Shaddai, God Almighty, even though he has made me in bitterness, Job is saying, even though that is the case, I will still be steadfast in speaking truth. Job saw it to be a sin if you would agree with his so-called friends. If I give in to you guys, it's going to be a sin. He was going to stand up in his integrity. And he goes on and continues that thought. Verse 5 says, Far be it from me that I should justify ye, you guys, until I expire. In other words, till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. In my righteousness, I hold fast and will not relax. My heart shall not reproach me all my days. Job says, I do not feel guilty. My conscience is clear. You guys want me to admit that I've done something wrong? Not going to happen because Job was a man of integrity. He had a good stubbornness to stand upon. He could stand upon what was right despite the circumstance. Job is saying, I'm not going to admit to justify you guys. My heart is not condemning me. Now, the great thing, this is where we stand as believers. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. All believers can claim this. We don't have any condemnation. And if you're feeling it, you don't need to. If you truly are his, not casual Christian, not playing Christian, if you're really his, you have no condemnation. You have the righteousness of Jesus. Verse 7. May my enemy be like the wicked. And he who rises against me like the iniquitous. For what is the expectation, the hope of the polluted one when he's cut off? When Aloha, when God eases away his soul. In other words, in the New Testament, it would say, What profits a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? That's basically what Job is saying. And of course, the answer to that is nothing. So many head down that path. Um, we don't need to. It's, it's no point of. Gaining all the world that's showing at you and forfeiting your soul. Verse 9. Will El, will God listen to his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he enjoy deliciousness himself in the one who suffices? We have that connection with Shaddai, the Almighty. Will he always call on God? I will direct ye in the hand of El. I'm going to direct you in the hand of God. What is with the one who suffices, El Shaddai, the Almighty. He says, I will not conceal. Behold, all ye have perceived it. Why then have you become altogether vain? Listen up. It says, verse 13, this is the fortune of the wicked human, the wicked man with El, with God, and the allotment of the terrifying ones. They take from the Almighty, the one who suffices. If his sons are many, it is for the sword. His offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him shall be entombed in death, and their widows shall not lament. If he piles up silver like soil, 
and prepares clothing like clay, he shall prepare, and the righteous will put on, and the innocent will apportion the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a preserver makes. The rich man will lie down and not be gathered. He opens his eyes and he is no more. In other words, all the stuff Job is saying, it's all temporary. It's not going to last. Verse 20 says, decadences or the, or the crop overtake him like waters. A sweeping whirlwind steals him away by night. The east wind carries him off and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It flings against him and does not spare. He runs away desperately from its hand. He shall slap his palms, clap his hands here at him. And he shall hiss him out of his place. So Job here, he agrees with his friends in the sense that the wicked will be judged. Just isn't what's going on with him. And it continues on in verse uh, chapter 28. Surely there is a vent or a mine for silver and a place for gold to be coupled. Iron is taken from the soil and copper is poured from the stone. He puts an end to the darkness and investigates every coincidence for stones of gloom and the shadow of death. He preaches forth water courses from the ones adorning, those forgotten from the foot, they impoverished from mortals, from man they rove. What is this about? This is talking about digging mines, okay? Digging for jewels. So sometimes when you dig a mine, here's what happens. It talks about the water courses. You're digging and all of a sudden, of sudden water spurts out. Okay, and you got to dig away for the water to get out of there to continue digging. That's what it's talking about. It's going to continue uh, that process of mining and jewels as we go on here. We'll go through rather quickly this chapter. It says, a place of sapphire are its stones, and it has soil of gold, gold dust. The track, no bird of prey knows. It's not going to go down in the mines, nor has a falcon eye glanced at him. The sons of strutting, have not trodden it, nor has the black lion went ornamental over it. He puts his hand on the flinty rock. He overturns the mountains at the roots. So these uh, people are down deep in the ground. People will do that. What To do what? To dig. And they work so hard so they can get this temporary treasure way down deep. And people do that in life. Okay, they work so hard for stuff that's not going to satisfy, that's not going to last. Says in verse 11, he binds up the streams from seeping, and of the obscure he brings forth the light. And people go into great lengths, all this work to get prosperity. Says in, but here's the point. He says all that about the mining, how hard people work to get that stuff. But here's what it's all about. Verse 12, and where can wisdom be found? We just talked about where jewels can be found. Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Instead of being wise and getting true satisfaction, saying man would rather, they'd rather fill their, their banks with jewels, filling with riches, this temporary stuff. But the wise thing is to, uh, to go and get wisdom. And where can that be found? Well, we're going to read to the 
down, down a little bit. See where he goes. Verse 13 says, mortal man doesn't know it's appraisal. Speaking of wisdom, nor is it found in the land of the living. The abyss says, hey, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Plating, these gold plates can, cannot be given instead of it. You can't purchase the wisdom. Nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the certified gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass, the diamonds, does not equal its appraisal. It's, it's, it's not even close to what wisdom's worth. It says, nor can it be exchanged for an article of glittering gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. For the attraction of wisdom is above rubies. It says the, the paradox of Cush cannot equal its appraisal, nor can it be valued in pure certified gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Job says it's obscured from the eyes of all living and concealed from the flyers of the heavens, the birds. He says destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. Elohim, God, understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees under all of the heavens, to make a weight for the wind, and apportion the waters for measure. This is pretty cool here also. Speaking about the wind, this is an amazing science thing that in our ancient book. You see, people didn't know that the wind had weight and actually until about 300 years ago. They didn't know wind had weight. And Job here doesn't say, I think this is what happens. No, Job, a prophet, just speaks forth the word of God in understanding. You cannot deny the Bible says things way before anyone understood. You can't. Job didn't figure out these things by doing the scientific method. So to deny that the Bible is, has proof, is it's, uh, you're denying reality. Verse 26. He made a statutory limit for the rain. And a path for the procession of sounds, that, that thunder and lightning. It says, then he saw it and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he investigated it. And to humans, he said, behold. And we got to get this. This is, the, this is really the key verse, in my opinion, of this chapter. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to withdraw from evil is understanding. Amazing. You could be intelligent in many ways, but if you don't have perspective, you really don't have the wisdom God desires us to have. See, we must have both a foundation and the big picture. Are you looking for purpose in your life? Or what's even the point of life? God is the only one that can grant that kind of wisdom. You want wisdom? Tells you right here, and Job's absolutely right. Later spoken of through the scriptures, it's a theme. You want wisdom, you better start fearing the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, then you have no wisdom. Because the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So while everyone is chasing after gold, diamonds, for us it would be money, 
relationships, some kind of high on a substance, searching for love, whatever it may be. And people go to the ends of the earth for these things, trying to get these things. But there's no wisdom in that. And that's an endless search. And it'll drive you nuts. It'll, it'll, it'll make you in a state of depression and anxiety as you're trying to figure things out because you don't have purpose. The greater thing, these things don't even appraise these riches compared to wisdom, Job says. And he's right. The greater thing is wisdom in which you can get real satisfaction. That only comes from the fear of the Lord. An awe of the Lord. A respect unto God. A choice to have a personal relationship with Him. If you want to understand, like it says here, withdraw from evil, you get understanding. Withdrawing from evil, what is that? It's called repentance. To turn away from sin by turning to God, making Him Lord of your life. And when you do that, you will be given eyes to see clearly and ears to hear clearly. You will have real understanding then. Look, if you're really serious about God, if you have a fear of him, you will not be choosing the path of sin. So maybe that's you, maybe not. If it's not you, start living a righteous life. How? By wisdom. How do you get wisdom? By fearing the Lord. How do you fear the Lord? How do you get that kind of faith? The scripture says faith comes by hearing. Okay, I got to learn how to hear. Okay, how do I learn how to hear? You're coming and you're listening right here and you're learning how to hear. Hearing comes by the word of God. So dig in with us each week, even the hard stuff. Even the stuff that's repetitive. Job has a lot of repeat, right? But it's all important. And open the book for yourself every day. Get involved with a local church and the services throughout the week. If you're close to Bangor, um, we're going to be moving here soon, but not too far away from there. But if you're close to Bangor, we'd love for you to come and join us. Job chapter 29. Job proceeds. Now, Job here is going to now take a look back on his journey of what he would call the good old days. Many of us. When you think about it, the good old days, what some people call them, really weren't that good. And if you weren't a Christian, your, your days of the past, and you remember those as your good old days, those, those weren't good old days. Okay? The time you spent sinning, that, that, there's nothing good about that. But for Job, his good old days were actually good. They were prosperous. He had a relationship with God. That's what he's going to be talking about. Not just his material things and his kids. Okay, he had a tight relationship with God. Look at chapter 29. Job proceeded to lift up his proverb and said, Oh, that I were um, that I were given as months past, as the days God guarded me, when his lamp radiated over my head, by his light I go through darkness, just as I was in the days of my winter. When the deliberation of Eloah of God was over my tent, 
when the one who suffices, when the mighty, the El Shaddai, still was with me. My lads were there. My kids were round about me. When my goings were washed in clotted cream, speaking of blessing, and the rock poured for me fillets of oil, speaking of blessing. When I went forth to the gate by the town, and I prepared my seat in the square. So this indicates to us that Job was a judge. He sat in the seat in the square. Um, and people would actually get, we're going to find out how much respect they had him. They would actually get out of the street due to the respect they had for Job. And they would honor him. Kind of gives us a reason why we have so much legal language and Job wanted to take God to court, right? He was a judge. This is a language he knew. And we'll see more legal language as we go through. He says in verse 8, the use, they saw me and they hid. And the hoary ones, the older ones, they arose and stood. That's backwards. Usually the younger would stand for the older. But in this case, Job had so much respect, the older were standing for him. The chiefs refrained from declarations and placed their palm on their mouth. The voice of governors was hidden and the tongue clinged to their palate. For the ear heard, then it blessed me, and the eye saw, and it testified to me. For I made an escape for the humble who cried out, the orphan who had no helper. See, they accused him of, of coming against the poor. He actually looked out for the poor and the orphans. He said, verse 13, the blessing of a perishing one came upon me and caused the widow's heart to be jubilant. He was there for the widows. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment like a robe and a turban. I became eyes to the blind, and I am feet to the lame. I am a father to the needy, and I investigated the contention of him, and I did not know. I mean, see, he didn't he actually figured things out. He wasn't a lazy judge, he, he figured things out. Well, reality. And if he's something he didn't know, he searched it out. Verse 17, I broke the fangs of the iniquitous and fling the prey from his teeth. And I said, I shall expire in my nest and increase days as the sand. In other words, he thought his life would always be like this. Okay, just continue on living this good life. Verse 19, my root is open to the waters and the night mist lodges on my harvest. My glory is new within me. He had a, this fresh walk with God. My bow is varying in my hand. They listened to me. And waited and are silent for my counsel. They had so much respect, they, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And verse 22 says, After my speech, they did not repeat. Okay, they didn't have to, to come and, and try to fix things that Job was saying. They just, what he said was right. They just listened. They didn't have to repeat. Then my declaration dropped on them. Verse 23 This, they waited for me as for the rain. A rain's a blessing. And they gaped their mouth for the latter rain, that special spring rain. Uh, they're just opening their mouth. They want everything he's got. This is how it used to be, Job said. And I ridiculed them, but they did not believe. And, and, and the light of my countenance, they did not cast down. I chose the way of them. And I sat as head. And I tabernacled as a king in the troop, as one comforts mourners. So Job was like a king in the army. Although it was not to give voters notice what the king in the army, what he was like. 
not to give orders, but to give comfort to those that were mourning. So Job here is he's remembering what it used to be like. He was well respected, looked up to. His countenance was great to be around. People just wanted to be around him. That's remembering back. Now in chapter 30, he's back to his present circumstances. And we'll be back in our one more segment to finish up these last two chapters. Job chapter 30. We just finished talking about Job thinking about his good old days, how the way it used to be, and all the blessing that came about, and how people looked up to him, and he was well respected. Now, Job's going to look at his present situation. Chapter 30 says, And now they ridicule me, once inferior in days, whose fathers I rejected to set with the dogs of my own flock. Even what is the vigor of their hands to me? Their maturity has perished. In lack and in starvation, they gnawed the arid land. Last night of devastation in futile land. Verse 4, those plucking sea purslane of the shrub and the broom bush roots for their bread. Um, in other words, they're scavengers getting all the, what they could find. It says they were driven out from the body. They shouted at them as a thief. Some tough stuff there, but basically Job is talking about uncivilized people. This group of people that he he wouldn't even hire them to take care of his flocks. This is how, how unruly they are, how vile th this group of people are. Yet these same people are going to now be mocking him. The ones that everybody had nothing to do with, everybody was against, they're now the ones that's mocking him. Verse 6. They're, they're, to, they're to tabernacle in the terrifying watercourses, the holes of soils and caverns. In other words, they're, 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 they're pretty primitive. They're, they're, they're kind of savage, like they're, they're living in caves. Among the shrubs they braid, under the prickly echophis uh, they nestled. They're sons of decadence, they're corrupt, even sons of without name. They were made sore from the land. And now, verse 9, I become their accompaniment, and I am their declaration. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not keep me keep back spitting in my face. So Job says to these primitive, these vile, uncivilized people, they're the ones, they're now looking down on me. That's how far I've fallen. I'm a byword to them. In other words, they make up songs about me. And they have sayings. They're saying, don't be a Job. You don't want to be like Job. That is the saying. And they spit on my face. A cultural thing. One of the most insulting things you could do in that culture. Even in the Middle East culture today. It still happens. Our culture is pretty bad also, but not as bad as it was in that culture. Job's, Job's talking about how low he's been brought down and how little people thought of him anymore. Everyone's not looking up to him anymore, but rather they're looking down. Verse 11. Because 
he has loosened my cord, God has, and he's humbled me. And they have cast off the bridle from my face. Actually, this group of people has done this. On the right hand, the blood arises. They push away my feet. They heap up against me their paths of calamity. They mar my track. They benefit from my wall. They have no helper. They arrive as a wide breach. Under futility, they roll themselves forward. Decadences, this corruption, it's turned upon me. They pursue my patronage as the wind. And my salvation is passed like a thick cloud. Verse 16, and now in me, my soul is poured itself out. The days of humiliation take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing does not lie down. By vastness of vigor, of strength, my clothing is disguised. As the mouth of my tunic, it belts me. He has shot me into the clay. God's just thrown him into the mud, he's saying. I become like soil and ashes. But then he's crying out to God. And he's going to lay it on him. He says, I cry out to you. But you do not answer me. I stand up and you consider me. So Job is now turning to God. And again, Job, if he knew why things were happening, it'd be a lot easier for him. He would be comforted. He's not going to find out the why, though. He's going to find out that he doesn't need the why. What he really needs is not not why. The Bible never, uh, we don't get an answer in the book of Job to the question why. But we do get the who. And that's what he needs to know, the who, God. And Revelation is going to change everything as he will have an encounter with God. Verse 21. And he's laying it out before God. And he's really, really pouring it on now in his last stand. He says, you have become cruel to me. He's saying this to God. The staunchness of your hand, you begrudge me. You'll lift me up to the wind and make me ride on it. You dissolve me. You level my reality. For I know you will bring me to death. A house appointed for all living. Surely he would not put forth his hand against a rubbish heap. Or in his chastisement implore. But Joe's pain has given him a confused mind at this point. And all this going back for his friends and, and everything that's going, his despair, he begins to say things that just aren't true. It's true that he is, he's been upright and he doesn't, he's not guilty of something that's deserved all these things. It's not a cause and effect. But he's saying some things that are out of line, which he'll later have to repent for. Because the truth is God is totally for him. But Job is saying otherwise. 24 says, surely he would not put forth his hand against a rubbish heap. Or his chastisement implore, have I not wept for him whose day was hard? My soul is sorry for the needy. When I looked for good, evil came. And I waited for the light, and all that came was darkness. My bowels boil. That didn't sound very good, does it? My bowels boil and cannot be still. Days of humiliation confront me. I go about being somber, but not in the sunshine. I rise up in the assembly and cry out. I am a brother of jackals and an associate to the daughters of ostriches. 
In other words, I'm crying out, and it's a pitiful sound. I mean, I, 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 you might as well, I'm, as, I'm a brother of jackals in the Austrians, but I'm making the same kind of sounds. It, it's horrible sound. Verse 30 says, My skin is dusky upon me from this condition he's got. My bones are hot from drought. My harp, which should be a, a thing to praise with, says my heart becomes mourning. And my, and your translation might be an organ, but it's literally the shepherd's pipe. The pipe, the sound, is the sound of those who lament. So there's only one song I'm singing, Job says. It's all blues songs. It's all mourning and lamenting. And finally, chapter 31, Job's going to finish up his conversation, his case. Job, being a judge, is going to lay out, in many legal terms we see here, He's going to make his final case unto God. And he's hoping that he hears him and he has his day in court. He's going to lay out his case here. Job says, I have cut a covenant with my eyes. Why should I consider a virgin? We can actually learn a lot from this. Cutting a covenant, making an agreement with your eyes. The key to this is to control your thoughts. Okay, to capture thoughts in your mind and to guard your eyes. You see, the eyes are the pathway, Scripture says. You need to make it a covenant with your eyes, an agreement. Make a deal with your eyes. Cut a deal. I believe it's time for all of us to sign this agreement. I don't care who you are. We need to sign this agreement. We have to have certain disciplines in our life to make this happen as well. Will you guys sign this agreement with me? To not to not watch something on TV, not watch a movie unless it meets the standards of God? A great thing my family likes to use is this thing called Dove Reviews. It's a great review for a movie. If it's not approved, we don't watch it. And, and, and whatever it is, stick to your covenant. Don't watch stuff that is out there because it's popular. If you make this agreement with your eyes, it's going to help. And it's going to cause you not to fall down the path of sin. So making a covenant with your eyes and your mind. Okay, something pops in, you know it's not supposed to be in your thoughts, get rid of it. Something pops into your view, you didn't put it there, go away from it. And find ways to, for that not to happen again. Make a covenant. Now for some individuals, as far as the... Uh, the man-woman aspect. That your, your eyes... Especially men. Men, if you want to look at a woman. Some may say, hey... You can look, but you can't touch, right? No, it doesn't hurt to look. Actually, it does. That's man that says that. Well, why can't you look? Because God tells us not to. Verse 2 and 3 says it's a sin by Job. But he says, and that's a theme throughout the entire scripture as well. I'll talk about that a little more in a second. Let's continue what Job's talking about. Says verse two, and what is the portion of Eloah? What's this? What God's portion from above? And the allotment of 
the Almighty Shaddai, who suffices from heights. Is it not calamity for the iniquitous? Saying is sin. And a strange thing for the ones that contrive lawlessness. Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? God does see your ways. If God sees us all the time. Maybe it might actually help you to turn to our, our bad behavior, right? If we know and we've settled that in our heart that he sees us, maybe that'll help. We shouldn't do things just because we're afraid God will see us, though. We should do it because it's the right thing to do. God gives us what's right and wrong. And we need to heed to whatever he says. Because what we find out when we do heed, oh God, you were right about this. God is right 100% of the time. Even things we don't understand. So we need to trust in him. Because it's true, sin leads to suffering. So let's trust God and not choose the path of sin. Job continues on, verse 5. If I have went with futility and my foot has hurried to deceit, he weighs me on righteous scales. And Eloah knows my integrity. God knows my integrity. Job says this, but I really don't have any interest in God weighing me on a scale, my righteousness. I mean, my good works would never balance out on the scale. Because all the other side of the scale is sin. And know what God says? God says the wages of sin is death. That's one sin. Sin singular. So my sin on the other side of the scale, even if it's little compared to my works, it still weighs out completely on the side of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. I, I have made a commitment not to be put on the scales. I hope you have as well. Because the standard, not just my standard, but everybody's standard is Jesus. Jesus is the standard. And he is perfect. I don't measure up to Jesus. I'm not perfect. Instead, all I want to say is, let me be weighed not upon the scale, not my righteousness, but let me weighed, be weighed upon Jesus Christ. On his righteousness. See what he does. He destroys the scale. So I don't, need, I don't need to be weighed out at all. There is no other side in my life. There is no sin to be weighed out. God sees no sin in my life. Because Christ paid for them all. Verse 7. If my progress has aside from the way. And my heart went after my eyes. And blemish clings to my palms. Let me sow and another eat, and my offsprings be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, and if I have ambushed at my associate's portal, let my woman grind for another and let others bow over her. This is talking about adultery. and your, but, but it's not just saying doing the action, but it's talking about the heart. If my heart does it. So not just actual relations with a woman. He's saying, but if your heart is enticed. Jesus, is, Jesus would later say, if you lust after a woman that you're not married to, even though you haven't done a physical act, you have committed adultery in your heart. See, God is spirit. And he looks not just at the outward, but he looks at the heart. Job says, 
I haven't done any of this. If I have, take my wife away from me and give it to another. That's what he says. Verse 10. Because all this, he says, it's mischief. It's depravity for the mediator. Legal term. For a fire, it devours into it, it, a fire devours it into destruction. It would root out all my income. And that's true. The world may prop it up. It may be it's the center of many movies or, or music. But despite the popularity of this, Job says correctly, the fire it devours to destruction. The context has all been about lust, right? This is what it's talking about. How many have been destroyed by lust in this world? It's led to disease, led to AIDS. And there's a number of those type of diseases uh, that happen with uh, promiscuous relations. Led to broken families, messed up relationships. It breaks you down to destruction following after lust, just like Job says. Job says, I stayed away from all these things. We should as well. Verse 13, if I have rejected the judgment of my servant and my maidservant, and they're contending with me, what then shall I do when El rises, when God rises, when he visits? How shall I reply to him? Did not he who made me in the belly make him? And one, he prepared us in the womb. In other words, Job didn't think of himself better than anybody, even the ones that were working for him, his servants. It says, verse 16, If I have withheld the poor from desire and caused the eyes of the widow to fail and eaten my morsel by myself and the orphan could not eat of it, but from my youth he grew up with me as a father. And from my mother's belly I guided her. He took care of him. If I have seen one perish without clothing and the needy without covering, if his loins had, has not blessed me, if he does not warm himself with the fleece of my lamb. If I have swung my hand against the orphans when I saw my help in the gate. And if this is the case, you know what Job says? Say that this has happened. If I've done these things, let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder. And my arm be broken from the clavicle. In other words, pull my arm out of his socket. If this is true. So he really believes what he's saying. Because it is true. For calamity from elf, from God, is an awe to me. I, I don't understand. Because of his dignity, I cannot prevail. If I have placed gold as my confidence, if it's all about the riches, and said to certify gold, you're my trust, if I trusted in you. If I have rejoiced because my, my vast estate I had, and because my hand had found an abundance. If I have seen the light when it radiates and the moon growing precious, in other words, worshiping the sun and the moon. If I've done any of these things, verse 27, and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. It also is depravity for mediation. Okay, legal term. Okay, it should be judged. For I would have denied El above. I would have denied God. It says verse 29, if I have rejoiced at the chastening of him who hated me and roused myself when evil found him. Yes, I have not allowed my palate to sin. To asking for imprecation on his soul. If the death doomed of my tent have not said, Who can give one that has not been secreted with his flesh? No sojourner had to lodge in the street, 
I have opened my doors to the path goer. If, verse 33, I have covered my transgressions as human, uh, let's speak of Adam, as Adam did. Remember, Adam covered. If I've done that to bury my depravity in my lap, because I am terrified by the vast throng, and the contempt of families dismayed me, and I kept silent, not going forth out of the portal. And it continues on, verse 35, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my mark. Let the Almighty, the one who suffices, should die. Let him answer me that my contender had written a scroll. Job is saying to God flat out, if I did something, show me. I have just given my case. Okay? I laid it out. Here's my case. And here is my mark. I signed off on it. God, if I've done anything wrong, tell me. Let me know why this is happening. God, you need to show me the paperwork. Show me the paperwork. What have I done? Okay, speaking all this legal terms. But Job, of course, is going to have to repent for some of this. And he will. Because he had no right to demand an answer from a holy, sovereign God. And God is not going to give him an answer to why. God has his reasons that we know about, but Job didn't. No, and he doesn't need that. God will give Job what he needs, not just what he's asking for. And I'm glad that sometimes God doesn't answer our request. Old Garth Brooks song, right? He sings, uh, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And that's true. See, God sees the big picture. We don't. So let's trust God's way. Because I guarantee it is much better than anything we can come up with. So Job demands here. And he signs off. Here's my case. Now present yours. Last couple verses. Verse 36. Surely, if you wrote it out, God, I would carry it on my shoulder blade and I would bear it on me a crown. I will tell him the number of my steps. Like a governor, I would approach him. So he thinks. Nobody's going to approach God that way. If my ground cries out against me, and his furrows weep together, if I have eaten its vigor, the strength, without silver, and caused its possessors to expire their souls, if this is the case, then let thistles come forth instead of wheat, and nightshade instead of barley. Then it says, the words of Job have ended. In other words, case Closed. So Job, he's so distracted with looking for the why that he's forgotten to focus on the who. Job's case is finished now. His friends are all done, except for one that we haven't even heard from yet. It's going to speak up. Next week, we'll talk about this new friend, Elihu. I know it was a lot to cover tonight. I did not want to break up Job's conversation because that was all one talk by Job. So you had an extended version of the podcast tonight. Um, never know. I don't have a set time on it. Uh, so sometimes it'll be long. Most of the time it's around an hour. We went a little over tonight. But I hope you're digging in and I see, see the importance of this. And uh, there's a lot of things in here. I mean, we, we can put ourselves in Job's situation in a certain extent. Sometimes we don't understand why things happen. But yet, 
There's a behind the scenes we don't even know. And we don't have to understand the why. But what we do have to understand is the who. And build upon that personal relationship. And make a decision to trust in him. Because he was committed to us on the cross. So we should be committed to him. It's the only reasonable thing. So I encourage you to keep following God. Stay steadfast. And we'll see you all next week on the Steadfast Podcast.